welcome to Koshian Cast, the only podcast that's forced to take a character named Sandy McDougal seriously. <laughs> My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. Hey, what's going on? Not too much. I'm just here to discuss the ninth week of the winter anime season with you, Matt, uh, where we'll be uh, covering every sports anime that aired between the 26th of February and the 4th of March. Well, I'm glad you considered me, because uh, I am here to... Because I do have one announcement here. Uh, sadly, TQ, uh, we are done covering, at, at least for right now. Well, yeah, so it was... Only eight seasons have been released, and right. this week we uh, we both watched the eighth season of TQ. Right. Um, but luckily, it does have two spinoffs, so... For uh, next week and the week after, we'll be covering the two one-season spinoffs, uh, starting next week with uh, Takamiya Nasuno Desu, uh, which is a Nasuno-centric spinoff uh, that I don't really know anything about, and I'm just going to go into blind. Um, I have a feeling it's really not going to be that different from the normal TQ. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe it'll have even less tennis. Um, <laughs> but So all, all that being said, would you like to start us off with uh, Yawapeda? I would love to. Okay, so this week we have the uh, the climax to the Manami uh, and Toho race, which is not really too much of a climax. It's basically Manami constantly still showing his regret over failing the team. Uh, he actually has is kind of regretting uh, actually starting up a rivalry with Anoda in the first place because uh you know it was that that inspired anoda to actually keep trying harder and be, uh and so now manami start is feeling like it the uh the loss at the inter high is really his fault and toho kind of uh kind of chides him a little bit and basically states like look man you you didn't really do anything wrong it's probably good for you to have this loss so you can actually race a little bit harder uh you know because it's like you know you have a rival now you can kind of grow a little bit between each other uh after that um so, uh, Toho still wins the race against Manami. Like, by a pretty decent margin. It's not really about the race at that point. Uh, and then we kind of cut to Kuroda and, uh, Arakita, who start their race. And we start getting a little bit more background on Kuroda, who, uh, we find out was actually, like, a sports prodigy. Uh, because he would join pretty much any team and he would be able to essentially dominate at that team. But then he joins a cycling club and, uh... You know, he kind of expects everybody to sort of, you know, kind of treat him like, you know, like this rock star. And what he finds is that, yeah, uh, in particular, Arakita was not impressed. And Arakita manages to beat him in a race. Kuroto asks him for help. And that's where their relationship started. Kuroto manages to beat Arakita. And then the episode ends with uh, Ashikiba going up against Fukutomi. There's not really a whole lot that goes on there beyond the fact that Ashikiba wins. So pretty much all, what we have established here is that all of the new members or all of the new core members of the Hakone team have managed to surpass all of their uh, the, the former third years, barring Manami. And then we the episode ends with Naruko returning to Sohoku, very dismayed over... You know, the fact that he's going to have to go to Teshima and tell him he's going to become an all-rounder. Right. So, this episode... I, I thought this episode was overall a little stronger than uh, last week's. Uh, partially because we got a little... We got some decent characterization of Kuroda. 
Because, you know, that was kind of the main member of the team now that, you know, we kind of needed to get some background on. I mean, I hate to say it, honestly, we probably could have just done with having Kuroda's backstory last episode and just sort of blowing through the other parts. I agree. This didn't need to be two episodes. Two full episodes. Right. Like, because we, we talked a bit th- about this a little bit last week. Like, we don't really care about the Hakone team beyond just being a rival of Sohoku. Mm-hmm. And I forget if we mentioned this. I'm just going to bring it up again, though. Uh, you know, the whole thing about Hakone is that you know they're supposed to be the dominant force in cycling. You know, they are they are basically these god kings of cycling who rely on their individual talent. You know, they don't really bond together as a team. Like you know, they they kind of all work independently of one another. Whereas Sohoku, you know, they ride as a unit, and you know, Sohoku Sohoku riding as a unit is what you know brings them is you know what managed to finally beat out hakone again it's a sports story that is about as old as time uh the problem is though that when we start going more in depth with the relationships between the characters of hakone they really aren't different at all than sohoku right and i think that's kind of a problem because the series is trying to get us to care about this team as much as sohoku but we also know that Hakone kind of has to win in the end. Or, like, that Sohoku has to be the one that wins in the end. And I guess what they're trying, what the series is trying to do is they're, they're trying to establish all these characters for us to care about so that, you know, we're uncertain about who's actually going to win during the inter-high because, you know, we care equally about both of these teams. But at the same time, we kind of know that because Sohoku is the main team, they are going to have to be the ones who win in the end. Well, I don't know, uh, necessarily because they did win the, the last <coughs> dinner high. They might be setting Hakone up to be more sympathetic this time. Um, right. But again, one of, the, one of the issues we raised last week was that Hakone is being framed just like their main characters. Um, right. And there's no real difference in the philosophy between the two teams. Like, the characters are not identical, but their philosophies are basically identical. Uh, the only difference is that for Hakone, they're like, you know, the, the way they're expressing it is like, we need to work as a team and depend on each other because we're champions. Uh, whereas uh, Sohoku is like, we need to work as a team and depend on each other because we used to be underdogs, but now we're champions. You know, it's, re- right. it's really not that interesting of a difference. Yeah, exactly. Like there there's no real like dynamic that's really clashing between these two these two teams that you know makes these sort of sports battle series so exciting. Like exactly. it, it does kind of feel like this is a series now. Uh we you had kind of had an interesting discussion about this like off uh like when we weren't recording uh, in the past when uh you know it, it kind of feels like this is a series that's kind of stretching to become less of a story and more of just a franchise and a franchise kind of needs to continue to exist mm-hmm. uh, based it's like this is not a plot that is naturally occurring this is a franchise that is having plot as a necessity to keep the franchise going yeah i agree i mean because who's who do we have left to overcome you know that 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 right. that's the thing is that they broke uh Midosuji last season uh, but now he's back and equally evil and equally scary, and we're supposed to believe that. They broke H- Hakone last season, 
but now they're back with a couple different members, and now Izumita is trying to act like the third years let him down when he's the one who couldn't keep up. You know, it's it's just none of it really adds up. the The only thing that I really liked about this episode was getting some necessary background on Kuroda. It's like, okay, now he's not just a background character; he actually has something you can empathize with. But other than that, I didn't get much at all. Like the Manami story in this one, all it did was reset him back to zero. You know, after after the inner high, he had been so down and out and he his whole philosophy and outlook had changed and he'd become a different person. But finally, doing this race, he realized that the best way to be a good cyclist for his team was to be himself. So it just reverted his character back to the way he was when he was first introduced. Um, right. I didn't. I I didn't see much growth. I just saw like, oh, I should have been like I always was all along. The end. So here's the funny thing. I actually think this would have been a bit more of an interesting story if Manami was actually the main character. Because then you have a character who's just, who's become so maybe not like a hundred percent arrogant, but a little too carefree. Who you know who kind of gets brought back down to earth. You know you can have a dynamic there where a character needs to you know they it's about learning to have a balance. You know that sort of struggle. You know to maintain you know your position within the team, but also make sure that you're not losing yourself in the team. Yeah. The problem with this is that it basically, like you said, it's sort of resetting the character to basically be like. This character, like Manami, has to just essentially be the same character, but we still have to make him like a sympathetic character because we see how much the team cares about, or how much he actually cares about the team. It it's a, feels like it's a little afraid to do much different with Manami, like to not make to you know, it, it's like actively resisting making him an unlikable character. Yeah, if that makes any sense. No, like, I agree. I mean, they could have they could have done something interesting and made this eminently likable character difficult to like but no that's not right. that's not how franchises work right exactly it's like no he it's like they can't have him they can't really give him that character flaw there you know that character flaw where he like even after he loses it he does you know he refuses to sort of understand what happened like what he did is what caused the team to lose like you know it shows just this very you know he could have still been very self-centered you know it could have caused this rift in the team where it's just like okay manami's a serious problem here guys he is does not care about this team at all, and he is not at all affected. You know, you could do something with that. But, again, because the series wants you to, you know, really love Manami as a person, they have to kind of give him this very minor arc where he, uh, where, you know, he has to, you know, go through all of this regret, and it's just destroying his writing style, and all of his friends come together and be like, no, man, you gotta be you. We like you when you're, when you're being uncaring. It's like, yeah. And, like, carefree. It's like it's it's just not terribly interesting. Yeah, it's frustrating. Uh, I'm looking forward to having a character who's <coughs> unlikable and stays that way, so we can actually have a villain. Um, right. You know, and I, I I know they've previewed other new characters showing up for rival teams, and I just say they can't come soon enough. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So all that being said, uh, do you want to move on to March? I actually did have one other thing I wanted to bring up about uh, Yamamushi Pedal this week. Uh, I, I thought... So, there was this whole discussion that Toho had with Manami. Because, you know, Manami regrets saving Anoda on the mountainside by giving him some water. And, 
and Toho says something along, and you know, like Manami's like, you know, had I never done that, and Toho was like, you would have, uh, you would have saved him regardless of whether or not he would like, regardless if you guys hadn't like, didn't promise to race each other again. See, the problem I have with that, because that's supposed to be the line that really comforts Minami before going on to talk about the whole rival thing. And my problem with that is that the issue wasn't that Minami saved somebody. The issue was that Minami made some sort of strange random promise to this complete weirdo by giving him a water bottle and then vaguely telling him, no, bring back that back to me at the inter-high. Like... The issue wasn't that Manami had saved somebody. Yeah. But I, I don't really quite understand what they're trying to get at here, where they're like, no, Manami, you're a kind guy. You know, you're trying to... Uh, no, you would, you're a good guy. You would have saved him regardless. And it's like, that's not the point. That's not really what's tearing up Manami, but yet that seems to bring him comfort. It, it's a little weird. Well, I mean, it's, the, whole, the whole idea is stupid, that as if he hadn't said, bring this back to me at the inner high, that Onoda wouldn't have... <sighs> raced in the inner high or wouldn't have won like as if that's the thing that did it um right. even though anoda is just a ridiculous fantasy character and he says i only did this because of your water bottle i wonder if this will eat you up inside um <laughs> but like clearly he didn't just do it because of the water bottle the water bottle did came up when he received it and then came up never again until he gave it back like, I kind of feel like this whole thing with this water bottle, and I did kind of feel like this when I watched it before, but, you know, it wasn't really, like, it was kind of a minor part of the plot, so I just kind of said whatever, but the fact that they're still trying to bring it back, it feels like they're trying to force this moment with the water bottle as being this very, like, powerful, symbolic moment within the series, but if I recall in the series, it really didn't even make much sense at the time, because literally... He gave Anoda a water bottle, he drank it, said thank you, they rode a little bit, Anoda tried to give it back, and Manami said no, bring it back to me at the inter-high, because we need to have a symbolic gesture at the end of this. Yeah, it was, and it's always been forced. Um, right. So, speaking of something forced, here's a forced transition to March Comes In Like a Lion, <laughs> whether you like it or not. I, <laughs> I would have gone with saying, uh, speaking of being forced, uh, Shimano was certainly forced this week, and... Uh, March comes in like a lion. Mine's better. Um, ah, you're probably the uh, so episode twenty of March comes in like a lion. Uh, Shimada is it, it sort of starts off with a dream sequence uh, where he imagines that he and his ex girlfriend got married, and instead of becoming a pro shogi player, he moved back to his hometown, uh, and he gave up shogi. But even in his dream. Even though he's happy to be surrounded by his family, he's still torn up inside that he wasn't able to pursue his dream of uh, shogi. So he can't escape shogi uh, even in his fantasies. Uh, it, it becomes evident that in the fourth match, they had to extend it over a two-day period. Uh, so they come back for the second day of uh, this shogi match, and Shimada counterattacks. He tries uh, to force Soya's hand, um, and separately, Ray and another high-class shogi player named Fujimoto are commenting for the crowd on how the match is uh, going about. Um, Fujimoto has a long rant about how Ray is not as good at shogi as he is, 
and then uh, tells the crowd that Shimada was weak uh, and didn't didn't deserve uh, the to be the challenger for this match. Everyone gives up on him, but Ray realizes that Shimada actually had a path to victory, but even Shimada didn't notice it because he was so overwhelmed by Soya. So he uh, surrenders, uh, Shimada that is, Shimada surrenders the match, gives up, and then Soya shows him that he could have won. Uh, that pretty much ra wraps things up, and Ray escorts Shimada home, but Shimada is sort of broken and exhausted on the train back home. Right. So I, I thought this was a pretty strong episode. Uh, what I really loved was actually the way the series portrayed how uh, Shimada could have won. Because, so, there's this, old, there's this older character who's kind of established as being this, uh, kind of this, it's kind of hard to describe because it's not, well, I guess it is kind of a stereotype we have in the U.S. With the, with the overly knowledgeable old man who, you know, just, you know, he hates the way that things are done nowadays, like... Yeah. For example, like with, you know, everybody makes a big deal out of Ray for being a C-class student, like for being like a rank uh, professional in high school. Like, huh, I was I was in B-class when I was in high school, you know, it's, it's not that big a deal. It's like, and you don't even have the guts to keep going. Like, if you can't even make it past C-rank. C you know, they're kind of portraying this character as being this overly boisterous and just kind of, like, overbearing overbearingly like arrogant old man who you know who kind of kind of portraying him as being somebody who doesn't really understand how you know he doesn't understand anything about Ray's life yeah Fujimoto is his name and what happens is you know and you think Ray got has his whole like ha gotcha moment like this is the moment that's going to bring us around because it's a very it's almost like explosively quiet because they have this uh, this display board where they're showing all the moves of the uh, of the of the game uh, as it's going on. You know, kind of make it easier visible to like a crowd. And uh, you know, Ray and Fujimoto are commenting on it, and you know, R Fujimoto just kind of walks out because he's just sort of disgusted with Ray trying to defend Shimada. And then Ray has this moment where he like takes a piece and just slams it down where he should because it's supposed to be like the like, the quiet, like, gotcha moment. Like, yeah, you think Shimada's done? Yeah, he can do this. Bam. Done. And uh, you think, it's like, okay, so this is the moment where Shimada's gonna bring it around. No. Shimada is as much a weakness to himself as, like, anybody else. Because uh, Shimada is just so broken by his own body that he has to give up. Well, I, I, I don't think it's that he has to give up. I think it was because... The match turned so like he right. he was he was trying to outsmart soya and uh put on a counterattack. uh but soya was able to outlast his counterattack. and when that happened and the match started turning against shimada he felt so overwhelmed that he couldn't see a path to victory he was just sort of right. acting out what he had to do and reacting instead of thinking proactively right but I mean, uh, the point—the uh, point I guess I'm just try generally trying to get at was like you think that that moment where Ray puts down the piece, like the way it's kind of displayed with that sort of like with that very satisfying like clack, that echoing clack, you know, like it's kind of almost like punctuating the moment, like bam, there you go, Fujimoto proved wrong. Uh, but then you kind of realize after the fact, oh, yeah, never mind, that actually wasn't really like the big screw you moment. And I kind of love the way it sort of. 
it kind of almost kind of like like takes you off your feet almost when you when uh, Ray runs into the room and finds out that Shimada already gave up mm-hmm. because it really kind of helps reinforce the point about you know these are not sports anime characters these are real people these are not people who can just weather everything and then in in a near miracle they see the exact moment where you know they can turn everything around and kind of bring down the establishment almost right and i I think that's what i really liked about that scene yeah i mean i was over overall i was taken aback by the fact that shimada actually lost you know i think it's partly because i have too much you know the show does a lot to undermine my expectations for a sports anime um and i i still come in with the expectation that the main character can't possibly lose four times in a row you can't possibly have the big bad so to speak actually be undefeatable and actually never suffer suffer any damage right um but that's pretty much what happened yeah, we can't have, like, we can't have Fujimoto, like, you know, kind of walk around, like, uh, like Mr. Big Shot being, uh, you know, like, kind of shouting out, like, hey, you're not really worth anything, like, if you can't even, like, keep up with me, you know, you're, we can't have, like, characters like that walking around and being proven right. Yeah. Um, but I did like it, I liked the characterization with Soya you got at the end, where he said, he talked to Shimada, and he said, you have too much faith in me. Um, and he was disappointed that Shimada didn't see his opening because he w- he wanted to see a beautiful shogi match. He wanted to see a shogi match like he'd never seen before. And he's like, you almost did it. That could have been amazing. But right. you believed I was too good. You didn't think it was possible that I'd made a mistake. <laughs> right. And that's interesting, too, about how it characterizes Soya. Because uh, we it shows that this is a man who... Like, just very subtly, it kind of shows that this is a man who because he's so perfect it's kind of the whole uh if you don't mind me bringing up a more contemporary anime uh one punch man uh-huh uh well i say contemporary yeah I mean more... this is more contemporary than one punch man <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but uh, if you don't mind me bringing something out of genre it's kind of the same idea of one punch man you know there's this man who's so overwhelmingly powerful and cannot find a proper champion like you know somebody that really makes him feel alive yeah uh, like, that, you know, he's just grown bored and, like, sort of depressed with the world because, there, there you know, there's nothing there for him. He's, our, you know, uh, for Alexander wept, for there were no more worlds to conquer. Yeah. Like, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of Alexander the Great... <laughs> uh, did you want to talk about All Out? I wanted to talk about a great episode of All Out. Okay! Fantastic! Uh, specifically episode 21 why don't you take it away all right okay so this one this summary might run a little long because there's a this is a pretty rich episode okay uh so so the episode begins with jinko versus another team they're called like uh sayako maji they're not really super important the point is that jinko beats them at the very beginning of the episode uh they start getting a little too uh like some of the people on the team are kind of like cheering and like hey you know we actually won one After the opening plays, the coach kind of scolds them for getting a little too uh, excited over their victory because, uh, you know, it's like, you know, this is a practice match. Like, this is all for practice, and we don't know if the other teams are treating it like you guys are. Uh, 
And so then the next day, uh, or yeah, the next day they have a uh, they have another practice match. Uh, I think that time the team loses, Jinko loses. But as uh, as Gion and uh, Iwa are walking back to the uh, to their hotel, they or they uh, they come across a tackling machine, which is a uh, something that kind of records the score you know it's it's like a punching machine where it, it'll record the score for you know how hard you tackle they even mentioned it's like probably one of the only ones in the world and uh while they're there uh both keijo and sagami uh come by and so do the rest of jinko and they all kind of it kind of erupts into a tackling contest uh jinko with i won't go too far in depth with it uh jinko does manage to win uh and then at night, Gion sneaks out for more secret training, though he hasn't decided what he's going to actually going to do. Uh, he comes, he sees Kifune outside, uh, still practicing, and we get a little bit more backstory on Kifune, who has been, uh, who doesn't really have like a lot of talent, but he can kind of predict where the ball will go. go. And so he really doesn't want to give up rugby because it's the only sport he's really been able to play where that's been terribly useful. Uh, the coach overhears them, and he helps them practice some more uh, at night. And then uh, the following day, uh, we have uh, Gion out and about again, going uh, with Iwa to the to like a crepe shop where they run into Ryujin of the Ryon Academy, and uh, who's getting his own special crepe made. And then the rest of Ryon shows up along with Yoshida, and Yoshida asks Ryoan for a game. And that's where the episode ends. Yep, that's it. <laughs> so, uh, what did you think of this episode? I... I don't know. I mean, I, I appreciated the fact that they had to deal with arrogance for the first time. Right. Like, they had to confront the fact that just because, you know, they won two games in a row, um, and it was very easy to, you know, they, they had this underdog mindset, and it's very easy to lose that when you start feeling like, oh, we're actually good at rugby now, right. or whatever. Um, and so I like that the coach sort of uh, squashed that pretty quick, that, like, the you know, w with two things, one reminding them that they need to maintain that underdog mindset, but more importantly, to remind them that uh, wins and losses don't matter when you're practicing. He's like, I'm not here to win, you know? I'm going to let right. everyone play. I want you to try different stuff, and I want you to learn. Like, why are you talking about winning? That doesn't matter. Right. Because it's like, I, it, it, it makes sense. Because, you know, when they went up against Tenjiku, you know, it kind of makes sense for them to go in with that winning mindset. Because, you know, it was their first game of the practice. Yeah. And, you know, they, you know, it was kind of their chance to show, hey, what we're doing right now actually works. Yeah, they needed to but, win one to prove that they could. Right. But, you know, now that they've done that, you know, beaten such, you know, a pretty decent team, uh, you know, now it's kind of, it's like, okay, we are not here to actually, like, win the practice. Yeah, exactly. We're here, uh, we are here to see what we can do, uh, what will work, and what doesn't work. Yeah. And what I also like about what they're doing here, by quickly going through these games that, you know, Jinko is uh, winning, it, it does very quickly establish, uh, all out, you know, uh, Jinko as being a, you know, this is a team that's growing and getting stronger without having to go through and playing so many other games like that we have to watch. 
uh, it's kind of it's getting it's getting that uh, power dynamic set up now very quickly. Uh, so because you know we have the implication that like oh okay they've won so many games during this practice match, mm-hmm. but you know like it shows that they are starting to become a little bit more dominant. You know people are starting to talk about them now around the pre- around the around the city because you know hey there's this real underdog team that's actually being that's actually getting through and like you know they managed to beat tenjiku you know an up-and-coming team they're you know they're actually like pretty consistently winning games during this practice session yeah and then and then we'll see uh this sort of finalized with their match against rio and which you have to right. assume they'll get um and probably it'll be a two two episodes or so uh to right. round out the season then you'll have uh, another episode or part of an episode to to get them back back home and talk about the fact that they just lost to Rio Owen. Um, <laughs> I was going to say uh, they they're probably not going to win the game against Rio. Oh, they they, they, they can't. Teams. They can't possibly. Uh right. but it will set up the power dynamic and what they have to do before they face them right. again. So. Yeah, it it will fully establish Rio Owen as being the end goal. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it'll be. I, I was disappointed the twins were gone. I have a feeling that they'll make a dramatic reappearance at some point, but oh, there's there's no there's no chance that they won't. So yeah. uh, uh, I go ahead. I, I I did also like the uh, the usage of the tackling machine in this episode. First of all, because again, they even bring up, hey, this tackling machine, like no other place in the world could actually support something like this outside of Sukadaira. Because, again, it's already been established that this is basically the rugby city. Maybe nowhere in Japan, I think. Well, yeah, yeah. Sorry. But, yeah, nowhere else in Japan would actually have, like, a tackling machine for, like, outside of Tsukadaira. Uh, What I also liked about this was uh, how it was showing how the different teams were coming along. Uh, Not even so much for, uh, just for our sake. Because so Jinko manages to win the uh, the tackling contest because what they end up doing is they have three representatives from each team uh, come together and like they basically square off and whoever gets the most points in total wins the uh, wins the competition. Jinko just barely manages to edge them out. Uh, but what uh, what's interesting about that is just before the the uh, the contest begins, Jan uh, over eagerly uh, tackles the machine because he thinks, "Hey, okay, contest started starts. I'll go first. And so we get to see his score as being like one fifty, which is what they mention is a decent score. But then you see uh, the other characters go up against this machine, both, and what we see is like, yeah, Gian is actually not really that strong yet. Well, yeah, I mean, so the the winning individual scores, Hirota, who obviously is just a much larger person than Gion. Right. But even so, everyone who participates gets a higher score than Gion. Um, right. And I and I think, and I what I like about that is that it manages to show how, uh, uh, you know, it, it kind of, it kind of uh, sets up where Gion needs to get to next. Like, he's good now. But, you know, he's actually not quite that strong yet. Yeah. Uh, and what's also interesting about that is that they managed to kind of do it in a very natural way without forcing Yon to actually being a part of this contest for some dumb reason. Yeah. They, uh, which yeah, is, they just a lot of other series would have done. Oh, yeah, totally. Because he's not a physically large person, so why would they want him doing it? He can't possibly right. uh, 
put as much force into his tackles as someone that's three times as heavy as him. Yeah, uh, exactly. But, Which, uh, but I just also want to bring up real quick, I'm not big on Hirota as a character. That is kind of my weakness yeah, with this episode. He doesn't have much characterization other than liking to eat a lot. Right. They have this weird extended sequence where they're, you know, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna end on Hirota being like the uh, the anchor for Jinko, and he ran away to go get food, so they have to go bring him back. Yeah, and trick him into coming back by telling him they'll buy him ice cream, and then he goes crazy, and he's like, of course I need my ice cream, so he gets the biggest score. It's like, okay, we get it. He likes eating. He's um, fat. I get it. Yeah, the, uh... I, I did write down the quote, the appetite of a chubster and culinary grudges know no bounds. <laughs> Just because that's a phrase I don't think I'll ever see again. Uh, the, the last thing I wanted to talk about with this episode is uh, the the background on Kifune. Right. Um, what, did, what, did, what stood out to you about Kifune? Uh, what was interesting to me was that... Uh, uh, he actually so the whole thing that they establish with Kafune is that he has like a ritual he performs before he kicks the ball where he kind of holds it up to his head and almost like prays to it and it and uh basically when the coach comes by he mentions that you know what like I actually am not against rituals like that because uh Kifune is kind of embarrassed because he's like look I realize it doesn't add anything uh it reminds me of something actually from baby steps and I won't go into, like, spoilery things, but basically, in Baby Steps does something similar where it seems like, hey, you know, these sort of, like, dumb rituals, you know, they're just superstition, you know, they don't really do anything. But what they actually do is that they provide sort of a calming measure for the athlete. And, like, you know, it's, like, it's not really based in any sort of real logic. It's just, ba but, you know, what it does is it, it's like a placebo effect. You know, you do it so you think, okay, it's going to have an effect. And the coach kind of says something to that extent where he's just like, look, I'm not against it. I think it's great that you do it. You know, whatever gets you, you know, whatever helps you calm down. Yeah, it helps reset your mental space, basically. Right. Um, I, I like the fact that he's he's not just a guy who showed up. He's someone who has a, a history with sports. Uh, he played soccer for six years, but he never really felt like he belonged. Um, right. And so the only reason he joined rugby was because like soccer wasn't going anywhere for him, and uh, but the rugby team was recruiting anybody, and right. that like he got recruited by Abumi of all people, um, and so he he had some sense that if he couldn't do it on this team of you know random misfits, uh, he wouldn't be able to do be an, be an athlete anywhere um and he wanted to try right. so i i like i like the fact that he wasn't just a kid who randomly showed up he was someone who right. had a background but he he was sort of alienated just due to his his personality um right. and i i thought it was funny that of all the people to recruit him it was his polar opposite of boom <laughs> yeah definitely it, it does kind of you know it, it does a lot to also show how a boomy has also kind of made an impact on the team by making by. Uh, I'm actually not sure where I was going with that. Well, well, what it what it shows is that because he Ibumi is an outsider in a different way, uh, it right. it makes it where other people who feel like outsiders uh, might feel like they have a place there. Um, oh, okay. So I, I like that. I like the characterization about the team. It helps me understand a little more about why all these random people showed up on this team in the first place. Um, 
So yeah, I'm, I'm glad they did it. Um, something else I'm glad about is that uh, Tiger Mask didn't suck. Do you want to tell me about it? Uh, I think actually you should tell me about it. Oh yeah, it's my turn. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> You're fine. Uh, so this is Tiger Mask episode 21. Uh, it kicks off with a couple of tag team matches. Tiger Mask is a, in a tag team match. Uh, and everyone comments that it doesn't seem like he's in his proper form. Uh, we later come to realize that he's not in his proper form because he's agonizing over whether Rory thinks he's dumb because he talked about having money when she has more money. And that takes up about <laughs> five minutes of this episode. Anyway, uh, the more important tag team match is... Uh, Tiger the Dark, a.k.a. Takuma, and Kevin are fighting in Madison Square Garden. Uh, and he has a dynamic victory against the Metal Brothers. And no one in the crowd cares. And right. they, and then he leaves the stage. And Tiger the Great the Third comes on and defends, <laughs> defends his belt against Bigfoot. Suplexes this uh, impossibly large man and everyone goes crazy. Uh, then Takuma and Kevin and Tiger the Dark all go to Japan. Um, Tiger Mask himself has, has a match against a Mexican wrestler who got poached by GWM. Uh, and he, of course, wins and then confronts this Mexican wrestler named El Caracas. Uh, he confronts him and says, like, why would you abandon Mexican wrestling? GWM is trying to destroy small organizations around the world why would you enable them um takuma gets angry about this and uh, con right. confronts him as tiger of the dark and they get in a fist fight uh in the hallway that is recorded by the press and uh, miss x says that it's good that they they were fighting because it'll help build hype for their rematch right Okay, so I uh, I surprisingly did not hate this episode. It was not too... It, this was the sort of episode that felt a lot more confident. And honestly, this should have been the episode that happened after Red Death Mask. Yeah. Uh, because this is actually the... Like, this is the first time that I have ever felt like that there has ever been any sort of dynamic between... Tiger Mask and Tiger the Dark. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole the name of the show is Tiger Mask Double because it's there's supposed to be two guys in Tiger Masks. Right. Um, like that's why there's a W is because it's pronounced double. Uh, and that, so, but but the fact is, it's just been two separate and unrelated storylines for most of the show. Right. But what's interesting is okay now we have a different philosophy. You know, Tiger Mask. You know, he actively, he doesn't just hate Yellow Devil. You know, he hates the organization that actually enabled Yellow Devil. Right. To kind of go out and do what he does. Like, you know, this is an organization that is, uh, you know, that's destroying the livelihoods of other people just for their own gain. And, you know, uh, you know, there are people who are just like, you know, people aren't fighting against it. Like, El Caracas, he just sort of gave up and, you know, he gave up on his own uh, gym and his own organization just for the sake, you know, because, you know, he wanted to keep making it as a wrestler. You know, his, you know, his organization wasn't doing as well. Whereas uh, Tiger the Dark, or Takuma, apparently doesn't actually have any issues with what GWM is doing. He just hates Yellow Devil. But he doesn't actually necessarily disagree with their philosophy. Yeah. Because, you know, it's the whole idea. It's like, 
the the strong it, it's about the you know it's like you know they're they're dying out because they're weak and so it's not uh gwm's fault and it's like okay now i feel like there's an actual clash here yeah i the the only issue i have with that is so tiger mask is is frustrated that other people are wrestling for gwm and getting them a big profit uh, whereas they're shutting down smaller organizations. But he's saying this after having wrestled in a GWM match. Like, yes, he's not, con- like, he's not, contr- he- he's not owned, he's not a GWM wrestler, he's a challenger. Right. But still, they, they gave him a raise in this episode. GWM gave Tiger Mask a raise in this episode because of how popular he is and how many fans he draws to GWM events. Right. Like, and, okay. So, uh, here is my defense of that, and to be fair, I think what you're saying is a per- perfectly valid complaint, and honestly, I don't think Tiger Mask has actually established a trust to actually do something like that. I am waiting for a moment, though, for somebody to call out Tiger Mask, because I feel like what they're trying to do there is actually set it up so that somebody can call out Tiger Mask for his hypocrisy, hypocrisy there. Yeah, because I, I don't totally get what his plan is. He's like, oh, I'm going to take down GWM. Are you? All it seems like you're doing is helping advertise GWM. Like, when they didn't have Tiger Mask wrestling in their events, they lost popularity. Um, And it's not like you're killing these people. You know, you're not making (laughs) anyone go away. You you know, rising through the ranks, you, you managed to defeat Tiger the Dark once. But all that did is set you up for a rematch that people are more excited for. Like, what's gonna happen when you finally defeat the real yellow devil it'll just be like a good match right and you know what that's fair too and I, i'm kind of hoping that somebody along the way is going to make tiger is going to call him out on that because i do feel like that if this is going to be a good show or if they because i felt like this one showed a little bit more self-awareness about itself than other ones because there, there's also sort of an element there where it's and this is admittedly a little silly. There, there was kind of a moment I kind of took it where Tiger Mask was apparently a little different, uh, jealous of Tiger the Dark because Rory was helping him yeah. in her job. Yeah, which like because like literally he sees uh, Tiger uh, Tiger the Dark go into like the doctor's room with your with Rory, and Rory's like, okay, we need to get you taken care of. Like, let's come on, let's go, let's go. And like Tiger Mask sort of stares at them and. It's kind of hard to make any sort of uh, judgment on his kind of emotional state there because, I mean, he's wearing the stupid tiger mask, so... Right. And the camera just sort of lingers there as if, though, that's supposed to mean anything, even though it's just going to always be the same expression. <laughs> right. But, because, yeah, it's just kind of the staring tiger mask that we always see. Uh, but, you know, it, it, there is kind of something to be said there where, you know, is he really that mad at Tiger the Dark because of, you know, his selling out to GWM or is he kind of just taking out his own frustrations right now? Yeah. And there is an interesting uh, character story that could be there. Uh, But whether or not it's actually going to get into that, uh, Tiger, uh, Tiger mask has not really proven that, you know, actually do anything interesting with its characters. It's kind of just gotten by, by occasionally having a pretty solidly animated and exciting uh, wrestling match. Well, I mean, that is a, 
dramatic overstatement. It has occasionally had a well-animated wrestling match. <laughs> right, sorry. I, I didn't mean to imply that it always has those. Yeah, it doesn't. Speaking of something else that is not always well-animated, uh, can you tell me about Minami Kamakura? <sighs> Possibly. Okay. Okay, so this episode, the girl... there There's apparently just another club activity... Uh, or an interclub activity where everybody's apparently riding around trying to get stamps for a scavenger hunt, I guess. Yep. Uh, and so they ride around, uh, you know, looking for their stamps. They're not allowed to use their phones at all. While they're dro- while they're riding, uh, they are assaulted by Kuma once again, who wants another race. And they leave. Uh, and so Mahiru and uh yeah. Kuma ride for a little bit, and then, uh, Maha- uh, sorry, uh, Maiharu, or Hiromi, I'll just go with Hiromi, that's a good call, uh, she, uh, she eventually just decides to stop in the middle of the race, and is like, you know what, let's just enjoy the scenery, and Kuma's like, okay, and they, uh, she takes off her gear, and she re- reveals herself to be the foreign girl that we saw at the beginning of the series, finally, we have Sandy McDougal. Right. And what we find out is that Sandy what is a foreign exchange student who just really loves anime and video games and whatnot. So she decided to join the foreign exchange program and travel to Japan. Uh, and so she very excitedly rides around with the girls. Uh, e- even though they first have to get permission for Sandy to even do that. I, I'll get into that later. Uh and uh, while they're riding around, uh, we get a, uh, we find out that Sandy is from Colorado, and also there's a horse that Corona is riding on the beach, and uh, we find out because of that that Sandy knows how to ride a horse, and then uh, they finish up their uh, they finish up their stamp collecting, and they go out and ride a little bit more, and that's pretty much the end. Yes. Yeah, so the 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 function of this episode was get Sandy McDougal on the team, right? Um, and which you know they raised the question like, oh, I thought you were in the cosplay club, and she said, no, I didn't join a club. I was just riding for the cosplay club. And they're like, wait, what does that mean? Why? Yeah, what? It, I, I, what they're trying to do is they're trying to show, okay, well, Sandy McDougal is not actually part of the cosplay club, so that means she can join the cycling club. Yeah, and and Except- just like that, she goes from being heated rival to being someone who wants to join their team so they can all ride together and i i just don't understand why they can't just make it so okay i slightly understand for like the sports clubs why they wouldn't want members to intermingle because you know they don't want them to uh you know to be you know lose focus of their sport cosplay and cycling really don't have anything to do with one another why do we have to make it so that sandy is only part of the cycling club yeah like there's there's no reason why she can't do both yeah are you are you worried that she's not gonna cycle because it's cosplay season like she has to train for cosplay right like i mean you know she's gotta work on cosplay but you know that's not something that takes like that consumes all of your free time yeah i mean it can ride bikes for a little bit yeah exactly and that that's coupled with the fact that even at episode nine of i'm assuming 12 uh the the girls cycling club has no goals or plans or training regimen or any sense of purpose so what does it matter if they just hang out and ride bikes sometimes 
What's it matter if you do something else? It's not like they're having two-a-day practices or something. Yeah, exactly. And I just want to, along those lines, I just want to bring up the fact, why does there need to be an interclub activity for going around and collecting stamps around town? I don't know. Like, like that's what I don't understand. Like, these girls, girls could just be participating in a club activity, you know, where they're going out and riding around town... While they're doing that, Sandy McDougal assaults them as Kuma, and you know we can still have the same plot. Why do we have to have a section where they suddenly, that, where they now have to ask permission for Sandy McDougal to be like to join them in this club activity because they already had registered members in the first place, and they can't just be like, "Oh, okay, well, Sandy wants to ride with us now. We should go ask a teacher if that will be okay." Yeah, that was kind of a pointlessly complicated plot element um the the whole the whole episode yeah it was strange the horse is something worth bringing up again <laughs> where uh, uh can whack- I, can you, please can i just set this up real quick sure sorry okay so they decide to take a break they go to the and so while they're taking a break they go to the beach and hiromi and uh sandy are you know they're very excited to be on the beach they're out running around and uh and, you know, fine, whatever, because they've both been generally landlocked all their life. Uh, we fought, And then, while they're there, Corone rides up on a horse. Remember, Corone's the, the, the cat lady. Yeah, the, the, the tiny cat girl who's super, seriously an adult, guys, for realsies. Yeah. And she, she's riding up with the cafe owner, and they ask her, and they ask Corone, Hey, where did you get the horse? And she replies... Oh, it's Saruru's. Anyway, you girls want to ride. You didn't answer the question! <laughs> Why do you have a horse? Why are you here? What are you doing? <laughs> like, oh, it's Saruru's horse? Does Saruru have a horse? Yeah, why? This is news to me! Where does why she does she keep have it? a horse? Yeah. Yeah, where does she keep it? How? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just a thing people have. Uh, and seen at Kamakura, apparently people just own horses. I mean, that's not crazy if you could, like, say, and she lives on a farm, or anything. But no. Right. But yeah, Saruru, I believe, is the, uh, she's the cafe owner, right? Yeah, right. So why does she have a horse? Right, and that's and that's just never explained, and it's all just an excuse so that uh, Sandy and uh, Hiromi can ride on a horse together, and Sandy ex- can explain that she's good at riding horses because she's from Colorado, and people don't drive cars there, they ride horses! Yeah, I love that. As if, well, I just want to find the town in Colorado where there's more horses than cars. Right, like, it's so weird that they did that they said that. Like, Colorado's not like, like, I mean, it's definitely like more farm area, but I mean, there's Denver there, there are major cities there yeah. in Colorado. It's not like... It's Wyoming. Not like, it's like, yeah, if yeah, they'd they said they, Wyoming, you'd buy it, but I don't think anyone in Japan has ever heard of Wyoming. Right. I mean, most a lot of people in America haven't heard of Wyoming. Yeah, I exactly. mean, <laughs> like, or it's like you could do like Montana. There's another one you can do. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, why Colorado? And then, like, j- why do you have to say that everybody rides around on a horse? Why can't you just say, oh, I was raised on a ranch? Yeah. Anything. Like, yeah, like anything. Uh, the, the the last thing do you want to talk about? Um, Sandy's style of speech. Okay, so she, because she's an American, she always has to throw in random 
English words in the middle of her sentences. Yeah. And not only that, her accent is very clearly uh, you you described it pretty well. It's it's an it's a it's a Japanese lady do attempting to make an American uh, American accent that's attempting to sound Japanese. Yeah. It, it's so weird and like off-putting like this is cl- it's like this is not somebody who is melded to their role. Like you can just sort of hear them in the recording studio doing this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's like w- when Americans will make kind of racist jokes about people from other cultures trying to speak English, right. uh, and it just makes everyone uncomfortable because it's <laughs> yeah, clearly it's clearly not how any actual human speaks, but it's just how you assume someone else speaks uh right. and so that that's that's how it comes across um none of it sounds authentic i i don't know what i was expecting i guess i wasn't <laughs> i i didn't really think they were going to get an actual american to voice sandy mcdougall but there you have I, it she, she was always meant to be our dark horse for the series that could make dark horse how <laughs> i didn't even get to that uh, but yeah. yeah, she was always supposed to be that character that we because we didn't know anything about. Maybe she could come around and save the series, but no, she's worse than anybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so something. Speaking of something that's not worse than ever than everything. <laughs> that was not uh, your best. <laughs> no, it's not. But it, just talk about IQ or TQ. TQ, IQ. What's the difference? Um, <laughs> Right, so this is uh, TQ Season 8, the last season that uh, has been broadcast. It was broadcast recently. Um, There are a couple episodes that stood out. Um, I liked episode 86, uh, where they go to a ramen shop where the owner uh, does not write very clearly because he keeps a headband over his eyes at all times. Uh, He tries to convince the Yakuza not to shut down his shop because his ramen uh, tastes like home, uh, but it's average, so they shut it down anyway. Um, Uh, Can I just, uh, can I also bring up, I love how that episode starts with them entering the ramen shop and the guy greets them and he kind of looks at them and he just sort of laughs. Like, very, like, not like, not like a very, uh, not like a very obvious, like, haha, like haughty laugh. It's just sort of like the snark, like, yeah, really? You guys are coming in here? It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Are we not worthy of your average ramen? Yeah. Uh, they have they have a two episode uh, sequence where they go to the beach again. They comment on how I thought we already had a beach episode, but they go anyway. Um, <laughs> and they end up all getting separated and, and stranded because they uh, get on the Titanic and run into an iceberg. Right. Uh, Later on in the season, uh, they join a, an MMO, uh, and they all play online together, and um, Nasano breaks the game because she's too rich in-game, uh, right. and they all, they all develop their own strategy for winning battles and keep declaring throughout the episode, we have a pattern now, but <laughs> um, instead of using it to win quests, they just attack anything they see, so they keep attacking NPCs who right. eventually get their revenge. Um, later, uh, what, I, what I kind of appreciated about the Nasuno gag there as well was that what I thought they were trying to do there was that they were trying to make commentary on the, uh, the pay-to-win uh, mechanics of a lot of online games where if you want to actually like be competitive, you actually have to buy like the best equipment with in-game money. I kind of thought that was the joke that they were going for with Nasuno. 
was that because she yeah. was already absurdly rich, she could basically be like there's a terminology for with the uh, free to play games with trying to catch whales, where you're trying to catch people who will spend absurd amount of money uh, on like the best gear. Yes, uh, the, <laughs> I, I thought there was more coming, um, but uh, then they, there's another multi-episode uh, block where they have a flashback of how the original three girls joined the tennis club. Um, the, the 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 highlight of that for me was that they keep accidentally joining the sushi club, um, right. And they they are convinced that there has to be someone in their grade who wants to play tennis, uh, but they keep finding the wrong people and they end up, it's uh, Marimo. Marimo is the girl who wants to join the tennis club, but she only joined because she wanted to see people's panties. Uh, <laughs> I hate that word, panties. It's so gross. Um, <laughs> and then, Marimo's a gross character, Matt. Yeah. And then uh, in episode 95, they have another uh, sports fest. Uh, and the, the highlight of that one for me is uh, they have a race and um, where Nasano gets injured because she's too bored uh, and they have to sprint past the uh, gorilla traps where they're all throwing red bean paste. Uh, right. And I mean, it, they apparently 10 years ago it used to be poop, but they had to change the rules for health reasons. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, well, why do they have this event in the first place? Um all right, so th- those are some of the episodes that stuck out to me. I, I liked, I think, yeah, so ni- 95 was a sports fest, um, 86 with the uh, ramen shop, and right. 91 with the MMO were my favorites. I, I just wanted to bring up real quick as well, you, you did miss out, I think, on what was the strongest gag of the season during episode 94, uh, which was, so uh, the first part of 93, there's this recurring gag where Nasuno, for her picture, she keeps putting, uh, she keeps putting in the picture of the guy who's like on like the highest value yen bill. And then at the very, at the very end of 94, they do a callback when they're talking about, uh, like, uh, Kano, uh, Kanae is talking with, uh, I think Yuri and she mentions like, and this is how all three of us met and it's Kanae, uh, Marimo. And then it's the man who is on the bill and not Nasuno. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, she keeps like attach forgetting instead of uh, including her own picture. She just, puts pictures of money right yeah exactly and then at the very end it's about how they met and it's actually about the money and not nasano yeah which is uh yeah it's pretty great uh one other thing uh i did appreciate during uh the uh i like during episode 92 where everybody switched bodies i did appreciate kanai trying to make it needlessly more complicated by also claiming that she was somebody else despite the fact that she actually wasn't yeah, 92. I skipped that one, but that one was funny. Um, <laughs> I liked uh, from that one that you, it, it's revealed that Kanae can only tell Yuri and Marimo apart because Marimo has a Kansai accent. Uh, <laughs> and Yuri's like, wait, stop, slow down. You can't tell us apart? <laughs> <laughs> just like, just like we've gone eight seasons now yeah, and only exactly. now are you learning this? Because we both have blue hair, that really... <laughs> um, so I don't know. I th- I thought it was a good it was a good way to sort of wrap wrap up the show at least for now. Um, I thought it was pretty pretty standard quality TQ. Um, Indeed, it uh, it didn't I quite agree. it didn't quite match the heights of last season's bear episode. But no, it did not. You but, can't uh... you can't ask for that every time. 
No, I mean, they can't all be bear episodes or attacking telephone poles. So, right, you know. exactly. Those are the <laughs> e- easy top two. But I am I am interested to see how they do the next season. Um, right. And we'll talk about it next week. So uh, I'll see you then, Matt. Um, and all that being said, would you be willing and able to hit the credits for me? I guess I can. Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Koshiencast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiencast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training. Keep training.